Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome. It's your Weekend Managing Madrid podcast. What's going on? It's your host, Gabe Lesra, um, and I'm joined um, on this No World Cup Game Sunday by Keon Savani. Keon, no World Cup Games today, but um, we have our semifinal set. Yeah, we do. Um, is it, you got to be rooting for Croatia at this point, right? Got to be. Got to yeah. be. Uh, I like Croatia and France. Those are the two teams I'm rooting for to progress. I actually, you know, I'm actually okay with all four teams winning. Um, we talked last week a bit about how how we'll have to deal with all the noise if England wins. But, yeah, uh, you know, as much as I, I'm rooting for Croatia because, you know, this is Modric's obvious last chance. He's having a Ballon d'Or type season. He's been unbelievable. Yep. Um, like, it wouldn't, like it wouldn't be, you know, insufferable if Belgium pulled through, you know? No, no, not at all. I mean, there's, I mean... Fun young team. One thing is true about Kiki, England is like Lukaku's a really fun player, yeah. likable player. All these they're like they're a likable team. All are. Yeah. They both all four of these teams are actually relatively likable. Um and I have a number of friends who'd be really psyched if England won. So you know what? That'd be cool. And and I, you know, I wouldn't be upset if they won either. I my teams are out of it. Um I I love this French team. I think they're they're one of my they were my pick going in, so I feel pretty good. I picked three of the four. Keon, I was very happy with myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, obviously, I missed Croatia because I thought Spain was going to be there, but um, that's what happens when you do your World Cup picks uh, before the World Cup starts, and then they fire their coach. So. <laughs> yeah, I had my first World Cup prediction come true when Belgium beat Brazil in the quarterfinals because I nice. said I said Brazil would get upset by Belgium in the quarterfinals, and that was out of nine predictions, that was the one that's come true. <laughs> Another one is kind of an unknown yet because it was James will play really well. Flo will bring him back. We don't know how that one's going to unfold yet, but he did play well, even though he didn't play many minutes because of injury. The minutes he it did play, he was though, amazing. Yeah. Um, so those are your uh, your predictions going into the World Cup? I was so close with my other ones. I had Argentina out and Iceland in. That was, was really like, close. <laughs> I was like a hair away from that one. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I actually feel pretty happy with the way my, the World Cup has gone in terms of my predictions. I've It's funny because I actually have been rooting vigorously against my predictions a number of times. <laughs> That's the thing. Like it, in the World Cup, you you're happy to be wrong because if it's an un, if it's unpredictable, um, it's a great sign. Because yeah, we've been yeah. we've literally been on the edge of our seats this entire tournament. Like the freaking Ch- Cherry Chef Golasso had me 
jumping. Like I, it was ama- It was like a, watching yeah. a video game. Yeah, the way he scored that, like the <laughs> off ball movement, amazing. He just bulldozes through, give and go, and then uh, the the amount of space he had to shoot it from that distance, he had to fire it so quickly, and to get that precision, precision and that velocity was really yeah. like just watching a video game. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, and then at the end of that game was was it ended the way you know. <laughs> A lot of uh, how we wanted it to end. A lot of us wanted, which is yeah. with Croatia progressing and Russia getting eliminated, which with is Modric's penalty hitting like eight sides of the goal before going in. <laughs> I don't want to relive penalty shootouts; they stress me out too much. Yeah. No, I, even though I wasn't really fully emotionally into that penalty shootout, obviously I wanted Croatia to win. I couldn't imagine what fans of those teams were going through. I mean, you it could was very because tense. you. I mean, I I can because I watched Spain. Spain yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, we being, being on both sides of really important penalty shootouts, it's, uh, it can be, it's, it's absolutely harrowing and I totally get it that people don't want to watch it. I, 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 you know, I watched every shot in that Madrid Atleti penalty shootout and that was wonderful. Um, and then I watched every shot in the Spain one and I watched those. I was like, De Gea is not even close on all these Spain yeah. It's gonna be a miracle. All Spain wins. <laughs> that actually entered my my line of thinking when I was watching the Croatia penalty shootout. When I was watching Supasic, uh, just was brilliant, like saving some of those penalties. And he was he was like literally like the entire Croatia team was basically just walking without legs. They were corpses by the end of it. And Supasic pulled through. He got injured twice during that game. Stayed on the field. Yeah. And I and what I thought about was I really at no point felt like De Gea was close to any of these penalties that all these great these goalkeepers are are getting to in this world cup yeah yeah that's the only one that he was that even was close is that first one where he uh uh he he got a hand to it still couldn't save it and like that was it i mean (laughs) just i'm i'm still annoyed at him but i mean it's amazing how croatia were like totally gassed and oh my god somehow russia is like totally fine and not gassed at all at the end of that game it's amazing it's almost like they uh are you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it i have this whole rant about um we and we've already talked about it so everyone should just just go watch the the documentary icarus on netflix it's on it's on there right now it's incredible there's a reason that um Russia, the country was banned from the Olympics and not actual athletes because of the institutional doping. Um, but I will just, I will say, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, England uh, won 2 nothing against Sweden uh, in what was, I thought, actually quite a boring game. <laughs> it was. Uh, what's, what's really interesting to me, Kian, is how like this England team has managed to uh, look so good from these kind of set plays, but actually look not great from the uh, from open play. I'm interested to see what what it's going to look like against a uh, when they get into a team that actually is uh, uh, really well organized and playing really well on kind of a total total pitch team. Um, obviously, Sweden's got a good defense, but you know this this England side really does score, take those chances from set pieces, and you would hope that uh, Croatia knows how to how to defend that. But what Croatia can do better than any team that England has played, literally, except for Belgium, and that game didn't really matter because both teams are trying to lose, uh, is actually dominate control of the game. And England hasn't, other than maybe Colombia, but it was a Colombia that was crippled without Hamas. Uh, Croatia can actually create that. I mean, it's Modric, Rakitic. Uh, uh, 
you know, these this is not a <laughs> this is not a Croatian team to be sniffed at. So we'll see how uh, uh, how England can deal with this kind of complete side, which is is what Croatia is. But you know, I've been saying we'll see how England deals, and they've been dealing with it on each at each level. Um, but yeah, that was it was a boring game, and I think that uh, if a, a, a competently defending team uh, that actually also can hold possession and move forward with the ball, which England basically hasn't played against, is uh, is going to be is going to give this team more problems than they'd ex- than they'd want. Well, I think it was boring because Sweden are good defensively, and they were generally in a low block that looked good, and I thought England were trying to break it at sometimes the right way and sometimes it was just crazy boring and they just really didn't look that imaginative. Um, I thought Sweden did a good job at, at how, uh, you know, hounding came and isolating him and getting him um, out of the game and, and not too many touches on the ball, especially in the first half. But I think the issue with this game was always that if Sweden don't score first, it was always going to be boring because yep. they didn't have much in attack. They did, like, you know, when they were down to nothing, they really had to just find something and they they actually looked a bit better offensively out of just pure necessity of needing to go forward but they still couldn't score i my concern with croatia is oh oh, by the way england um i think it is to give them credit it's a sign of maturity and a sign of somewhat organization and and decent tactics and capitalization that they are winning despite not looking great Um, oh i agree with that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you know we always criticize teams who win who don't you know quote-unquote play well but they they get where they are and we watch Real Madrid win a bunch of games not looking good and and it's it's a, to me it's a sign of maturity it's a sign of champion and you need some luck along the way however it would be interesting to see them play against Croatia um, because against Sweden they actually let Sweden build from the back and Sweden just couldn't really conjure anything Croatia yeah. will have you know brainiacs in midfield they have really Mandzukic, good players up front in Kramaric and Mandzukic. You know, like, so they have... My only concern about Croatia is they've played two straight penalty shootouts and a ton of minutes. They limped through, like, physically, not like, you know... I, physically, like, literally, Mandzukic was, was, was his corpse. Like, he couldn't move. Um, yeah. And on the, defending that goal that Russia scored late in the in extra time... Manzukic just like was out of his depth. Like he was, he completely like should have done better in a vacuum. But then you look at him and he's just he can't walk. And then so that worries me. You have three days basically rest, which is good. If I'm Dalic, I'm calling Putin and being like, "Look, we knocked your team out. We need we need a favor. You want to win. You want to look better. So like, give us whatever the we hell need, you guys. Have we need all the HGH your country can supply. We need we need hyperbaric <laughs> chambers. We need to bubble wrap Modric. We need all that stuff." Your your country needs to run all of our players like uh, testing. Yeah. Also, by the way, yeah. that that too. Just but yeah, uh, I mean we we it's true also though that England also did a uh, a penalty shootout match a couple you know yeah. earlier in the tournament. And this game against Sweden didn't go more than ninety, but still, um, Modric uh, uh, Croatia won't be playing Russia in the next match and. You know, this is this is uh, this is going to be a team that's going to have uh, it's going to be more on level playing ground um, in terms of uh, teams with uh, uh, stam- in terms of stamina. Like, yeah, sure, Croatia just played um, 120 in penalty shootout, but you know, England is is not uh, <laughs> England's not at the top of the, the top of that uh, list of teams that sprint the most, like Russia is, right? Like, this is this is going to be a different 
pace in this game. England, uh, you know, it's it's. I think it's going to be both sides are going to try to break, but they're both going to also be a little bit more deliberate and try to get numbers. Uh, both both sides will try to get some numbers forward. I think it, I think it has a potential to be a really interesting game, just tactically. And we'll we'll see a lot. I think about Gareth Southgate's tactics if he can come out and figure out a way to um, control that midfield, uh, or at least make it so that Croatia's midfield superiority doesn't lead to and translate to superiority um, in the other areas of the pitch, right? Because you know, I think I think England probably has the better uh, just forward line um but croatia's midfield line is arguably the best in the tournament if not best in in you know we're definitely the best in this match and arguably best in the tournament so uh we'll have to see how those how southgate comes out with his defensive setup right to to try to counteract that because as it stands southgate's run out some strange formations that basically give up on midfield but they haven't found it they haven't been playing against teams that have super do- like are that are super dominant in midfield like modric or like croatia so i i'll be interested to see because if, if he tries to go with that wherever the hell he was playing with uh you know that that you know that that formation that you rolled out against colombia where it was basically just two midfielders who are just running uh i think they're going to get overrun by croatia in midfield it's just going to be a bloodbath it will be interesting to see how, like, against Russia, like, Croatia had as Modric and Rakic both playing as really deep-lying playmakers, um, and to a point where Modric was almost a right-back and Rakic was almost a center-back. And Russia just had zero interest in pressing there and making them uncomfortable, and they would just, they would, they would you know, they would play some nice vertical balls from the back. And to me, England has a chance to make them a bit more uncomfortable. I think Della Ali is one of the more underrated players without the ball and his pressing. He works really hard against against Sweden. I thought he did a bunch of good things. That I think it will be interesting. I think um I guess my kind of bold prediction for this is that England and Croatia will be tactically interesting but boring. Yeah. But it will get fun like later in the match when something happens or it goes into extra time. And I think Belgium, France will just be like from the first minute, hopefully, just something you just can't miss. I can't wait. If, That's, if it was it's... anything like Belgium, Brazil, take two amazing attacking teams. And and we know in the case of France and Belgium, both those teams are amazing on the counterattack. I, yeah. I, I'm really excited for that one. I'm really excited. I think, I mean, when I did my record, this is the match that I was circling and hoping that we would get because... It is. It has the potential to be the match of the tournament. Now that we've said that, though, you know it's going to be boring as oh, hell. Of course, yeah, yeah. Like one team's going to score in minute five and then bunker or something. It's going to be awful. Yeah. <laughs> Although when we when we thought that Belgium Brazil would be fun, we got it really was like just it really from was. Start we were right. Finish. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy fun. Uh, I, one thing about Belgium Brazil, I'm not sure we we had. I don't know if we were around to talk about that yet. I guess not, right? We haven't talked about. It. Well, anyways, I. I mean, I think that game, and we have a question about this, but I think that game was just—it was so obvious how big a deal Casemiro is to that 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 Brazil side. Like, yeah. he, I was—I'm not flabbergasted anymore because I'm just, you know, I've I've been totally, uh, I, you know, I'm totally into Casemiro now. Like, I I I think I didn't fully realize like the importance that he brings, you know, to to a team like Brazil, especially and. You know, I think on Madrid he can be masked a little bit, but in those games where it's like this, 
uh, and where Madrid isn't playing particularly well and they need to get, you know, the, uh, and the other side is breaking hard with big, strong players who can, who can you know, conduct the ball upfield the way that Azard, especially in that second half, was just absolutely monstrous. Um, and Lukaku, obviously, in that first half was incredible on the ball. Um, Casemiro is huge, huge for those for those matches, and and he I think that it could have been a totally different story if Casemiro just by himself one player could have made the difference for for Brazil. Uh, Fernandinho had a had a howler I thought just a terrible yeah. match placing Casemiro. Well, Brazil and Artiti have been so good under just just keeping possession and just basically outscoring the opponent and knocking on the door. They've been really good at it, especially when Neymar came back. They were able to put Coutinho in midfield and all that. Um, they were able to keep possession quite quite well. But in the World Cup, they never really had anyone punish them on the counter um, as well as Belgium could. And to not have Casemiro in a game like that is is kind of devastating. Like you just, they had, Casemiro, would, I'm sure, would have been able to stifle a few of those counters at least. Yeah, for um, sure. It really was, to me, like worst case scenario to have Casemiro miss that one out of all matches. Uh, it just, it really sucked for them. Like, it was a huge loss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also in that match, I was really impressed. I mean, obviously, Kevin De Bruyne had a, uh, was, is Unreal. incredible when you give him that kind of, Unreal. when you give him that kind of space. Like, he's an unbelievable player. Yeah. And, and, and uh, that's, and also, like, to be, to be clear, a lot of it despite Tat- Roberto Martinez, who, what did he oh. say after the game? I've never it's, lost tactically I, he, or something? This is, um, there's an incredible, uh, there's an incredible series of quotes from like American coaching figures who have similar shit like this. But it mm-hmm. just reminds me of that one uh, professional poker player who was just like, if it weren't for luck, I'd win every game. And it's just like, no, mm-hmm. you, you piece of shit. No one thinks you, he was so goddamn bad in his coaching managerial career prior to this job. And his tactics were terrible. He won despite his tactics. Brazil had 2.5 expected goals to Belgium's 0.5. It's ridiculous. <laughs> His statement implies basically that he it's it, he just doesn't get tactics from, which is the exact opposite of what happened in this game. It's the exact opposite. He got his tactics wrong. It's actually wrong, factually impossible to never have your tactics wrong. By the way, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and speaking of him, I'm. Uh, we have some news breaking today that um, uh, the next Spain manager is going to be um, Lucho, Luis Enrique, um, who, thank God, is going to be manager for Spain because there was a lot of chatter from the um, uh, Marca As Pundit class trying to get um, the the federation to give the job to Roberto Martinez. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, want... I'm not a huge Luis Enrique fan for obvious reasons. I don't think anyone really is, truly, even Barca fans. However, when you saw that the alternative possibly could have been Roberto Martinez, it's just like, okay, it's fine. Any okay. warm body. I would rather have had Fernando Hierro be the, be the coach than him. And by the way, who I, I know that like yeah, we, we can bitch it and, and be upset at everyone I'm involved in this Spain debacle, but I actually do feel really bad for Fernando Hierro, whose whose time in the, the the federation has been cut brutally short. Even though he never wanted to be manager, specifically said he didn't want to be manager, and they made him manager anyways. Like all he wanted to do was just be like part of the the Spain federation team that like you know brought Spain to back to the World Cup final again, and like 
Uh, instead, he got thrown into being the Spain coach, and and now like he's basically a pariah. Like that is that is I feel terrible for him. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I mean, we I we Diego and I spoke about this in the Russo Tacticas podcast a little bit. Um, Fernando Hierro was as a human being is like unconditionally loved and unanimously respected by everybody because not only is a legend one of the best defenders to ever play the game uh amazing captain lead a leader but one of the most humble athletes apparently ever and you know i'm I'm saying that because anyone who's ever been around him like has publicly stated about his humility during the whole lopetegui fiasco he said that you know he's he's only here out of necessity but he's not a coach he's just here because he has to be in the situation demands it um so I, I share your sentiment that I feel bad for him. Um, a lot of people, and I've seen prominent journalists also, just blame him for Spain's exit. I mean, you can like, you can say that he was bad on a coaching level, but you can't say it was his fault because he was no. just thrown there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm not sure he was super bad. Like, I don't know if I would have, you know... The, the one game where it really mattered, I thought he got his tactics basically right. It's just Spain, you know... Well, I think it, to me it was, it's just that he was unable to make adjustments right. when he sees them, when he sees an issue. That was his biggest thing. That He's not a coach. Yeah. He said he wasn't a coach. Mm. That, I don't know. I mean, it, uh, it's interesting, though, because he was a coach for a year at Oviedo. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, you know, we have some, like, some, some information about his tactics there. He was very much about playing narrow and, 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 and preventing counterattacks and all this, blah, blah, blah. But I'm interested to know if he actually wants to ever get into coaching again seems to me he's probably more into the administrative you know side of things yeah 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 uh and it seemed like that's what he wanted in the being in spain in the federation anyways yeah. which, I mean, go, which, which we go back to by the way why didn't they just bring in albert Salades? that was always confusing to me like he yeah, was right there he was under 21 coach yeah. has a successful track record knows the kids maybe you know diego's argument was maybe Salades wouldn't be able to command a locker room with with stars the way hierro can i mean i don't know how much truth yeah. there is to that but I don't know. I don't. I don't buy it. I. I just. I. I have no idea. I. I don't. And I refuse to get in the mind of the people who made this decision because I don't understand the the first, the first decision in the first place. I just. I refuse. I refuse to even speculate because I think that it's all just kind of. It was all sort of last minute. You know, like he. It was like dead of night call to 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 make the firing, and then he he had to make a gut kind of dead of night call. Of, Albert, Albert Salades literally wasn't in Russia, I don't think. He, and so that may have been another reason why, right? They I didn't have that, very they, many I, games. I saw him. I thought I saw him on the bench in one of the camera shots during the World Cup. I literally, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I saw him on the bench. So I was I that's what he, I was I was like yeah. yeah yeah but like they 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 were like two days before that game and like if he wasn't in Russia it might take him a whole day to fly there <laughs> yeah yeah no those are all logistics that you know I have no idea yeah, yeah. um. So speaking of, uh, um, I think it's not it's not a good transition, but we need to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, the so since you did your um, emergency Cristiano Ronaldo pod, we've had more. I mean, it just seems more rumors have have continued to kind of fly around about how exactly this is going to go down. Now, one thing that has become I think more clear in the last few days is that. Um, 
there are financing issues. So like there have been a number of stories written recently that Juve is basically talking around to their parents and their their other corporate sponsors of how to put this deal together. And one of the things that we talked about, Keon, is about the the I think the question of the sponsorship the, the deal that they have with uh, Adidas, which um, you know is is actually a a fascinating issue, and it is one of the things that they're hoping will help them avoid FFP scrutiny later. Um, but the the other part part of this deal is that because um, at least reportedly Juve holds a much higher percentage of the uh, rights to the the dollars from kit sales and whatnot uh, abroad, is that Adidas is less willing and less interested in being hel- helping to finance a, a move for Cristiano Ronaldo because they won't see as much of the or almost any of the benefit if these reports are true. And in a lot of these big money deals, the actual financial package that the clubs put together goes with some of their club some some of their sponsors will kick in loans and whatnot to um to help finance the move because they think that it'll be good for their brands as well. Now Adidas doesn't seem as willing to do that, maybe because he's already on Real Madrid, but maybe also because they don't get as much of a benefit from the Juventus brand expanding as they would from, say, the Manchester United brand expanding or one of the other clubs. So they are, as far as I know and what I've seen right now, is that they're trying to work with Fiat Chrysler, which is the parent company of, uh, well, which is also owned by the Agnelli family, um, who also own Ferrari and also own Juve. And that company may be involved in um, some machinations that will allow them to put together the package that they need to put together. But as it stands, it doesn't seem obvious to me that Juve has been able to put together the, the package that they need to do to make this deal work, though I'm sure they're still working very hard to make it work. I'll be honest. I think um, the more this lingers, the more it just feels to me that it's not going uh, I, I, yeah. to happen. To me, I think if, if, if he's there, if he's available, I don't think it's a matter of can Juve pull the money together or not. I think they can. Um, now, I think that the second, the second barrier would be like the wage structure and all this. And, you know, Marcotti wrote about the 40% wage bill that he'd occupy and all this, blah, blah, blah. If, if there's a scenario, for example, that Juve need to finance the deal by subsidizing the cost, by sending someone like Dybala back, I'm not saying that is even something that is on the table or not, but let's say if they go that route, because Adam suggested that, you know, that might be an option. Uh, if I'm Juve, I'll, I'm being honest, I think I would just run away from that deal. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is the one of the greatest players of all time, at least top two, possibly the greatest. He's the greatest player in club history. He goes there, he'd immediately help them. He's, I think he's probably guaranteed a domestic, maybe double. Um, he gives them a good chance in the Champions League. I think if you send Dybala back, it defeats the purpose of getting a team over the hump. Um, and not only that, can we also consider the fact that any team that brings him in now is tied to him until 2021. He's going to be 36. Is that, that's really, like, I understand he fits, he's going to improve your brand. I'd be really like, I'd be careful with this one. I, I yeah, and it, yeah, I, I mean, you're paying him that, 60 million a year, right? Like that is just such a catastrophically large amount um, from, especially for a team whose entire revenues in in the last few years have hovered around 450 500 million that 60 million euros just for one guy for your for your team is is ludicrous in terms of the amount of money especially for a guy who yeah he's awesome and amazing but he's also 
you will be aging each season. Um, and if you have to part ways with some of your exciting young talent to get them, it's, it just, it just feels like, what's the point? That's my feeling. Exactly. Um, I don't know. Like, why are you bringing Cristiano and then jettisoning your elite talent? That's not going to help you. A team that is bad that also has Cristiano might be able to, you know, win a few knockout rounds in the Champions League. But it's very that is a very tough formula to 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 say you're going to beat, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, these teams that that really are still elite, right? Like you're you're getting rid of it's still only soccer. This isn't taking Le, like LeBron James to the Cavs and. You know, and having him play every second of every game with a shitty team around him. No, it's different. It's first of all, I mean, football is I, to me anyway. It's harder to carry a team than it is in basketball, uh, only because just by the sheer numbers, there's eleven players versus five, and also LeBron James also went through the Eastern Conference for like ten years, which is impressive. But it's you know, Juventus are going up against will have to go up against like the cream of the crop in Europe still. And if they do it with a watered downside with Ronaldo, I think it's going to be tough for them. I mean, let's be clear, like Real Madrid with Ronaldo was amazing, but they also had, like you could go down every single uh, position in the, in the starting 11. Like you could argue they're the best players in their position, like from, from 1 to 11, plus like great players off the bench. Like it takes a lot. It takes a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's my point is like if you're doing it, Maybe if you're doing it for the brand, that's different. If you're doing it for like guaranteed titles and you're kind of gutting your roster in the process, I think it's difficult. It's it's not yeah. easy. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I uh, I do think that the finances are a complicated thing for Juve. I I they don't Juve doesn't have the quite the same thing that Madrid does, which is a you know for example like and this first of all Juve is not any of these petrodollar teams or the American billionaire teams like Manchester United or, or, or Liverpool or whatever. This is a team that's owned by, you know, Italian billionaires who the Agnelli family, a couple others who like, they have a lot of money, but they don't have nearly as much money as like the sovereign wealth fund of Qatar or, or UAE or, or whatever. But, and Real Madrid has the benefit of being a, you know, the most profitable and most uh, powerhouse actual brand in terms of like just the amount of money that they bring in the revenues that's why real madrid does not have really have financial fair play issues is because madrid always has this wildly large amounts of money coming in and like you know if you have a team that has this sustained powerful revenues they're going to be able to raise lots more money than a team that has kind of fluctuating revenues uh, and despite it's really look, no one is. I'm not shitting on you. I'm just saying that these these are considerations that people kind of forget about. And right now, um, I mean, some of these reports. There's one in Marca today that's essentially saying that um, Cristiano and some of his entourage is telling Juve that they need to make sure that they have all of the money up front. And that is another incredibly hard ask. Yeah. Uh, like that's a lot of money. And people, I mean, yeah, of course you find the money, you make it available. But you know. Either you do that if you're a Juve, you gotta either find a way to get your parent companies to pay for it, or you're gonna have a problems because you're gonna have to do a sell off. And the only way and everyone's gonna know you have to do a sell off. And so your your elite talent that you're gonna have to sell is suddenly gonna be less, you know, less is gonna it's gonna have less value, right? If everyone knows you have to sell and you're trying to to move these players, you're in trouble. <laughs> because you know, maybe Dybala last last summer when Juve did not need to sell him, maybe would have been in that uh, maybe not the Neymar range, but certainly around the same Coutinho range. 
Uh, but now, if everyone knows that suddenly Juve says, "Oh, we're putting, we're making Dybala available," do you think anyone's giving that much money for him? No, no way, because they know that Juve is trying to move him. Yeah, no, those are all my pretty much sums up my thoughts too. I don't know if I have much else to add. Like they, all right. they, yeah. There's also questions about this. So if there's anything else, I'll you know. Yeah, let's jump in. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, that's. Um, I have this whole article I'm I'm writing about this. It's <laughs> the Juve financial statements are complicated and hard to understand because it's all in Italian. So it's taking me a few more days than I thought it would. Let's jump into questions. Let's do it. Let's um, do it. All right, Ramin Nagi and Sheikh Atiri are both asking us about Hamas. Uh, Ramin says, um, "Props to me for doing the solo pod." Well, thank you, everybody. I hope you all liked it. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> is it likely that we see Hamas back at Real Madrid for the upcoming season? Um, Lopetegui does like to use uh, playmaking slash creative wingers, and he does fit that description. Um, Sheikh Atiri asks us, uh, is there a callback option uh, on Hamas's loan deal? Is there a possibility of a return this season? My understanding, Keon, is there's not a callback option. No. Um, but I would say this is – this. there are a fair number of people or have, have uh, suggested that this actually – is not that far from a possibility. No, I think this is. I think this is something that has almost occurred on every single podcast so far, like this summer. Is this question about Hamas returning? I think the answer will just remain the same. I think one, the stars align because Zidane is gone. Um, he has his heart here. Bayern don't seem keen on keeping him, even though the ball's in their court. Hamas just kind of has to push for it. Um, Florentino still, you know, would, I'm sure would love to have Hamas back. And, and and I'm going to add what I always add at this point, which is that according to the people that we know who know the Madrid kind of board or people that are in, in positions of power there, there's a lot of love for Hamas among those people. So it, this is the kind of thing that when it happens, it might shock people, but it will not shock us as we've been saying all year yeah. um, or all summer. Yeah. Um, all right, Anthony Lombardi says, try to try to name something positive. Um, try to name some positives, sorry, about Ronaldo leaving. I know there aren't many, but I'm trying to be optimistic. <laughs> Don't get me started on the positives of Ronaldo leaving, because by tomorrow everybody will 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 be all over my Twitter. You want us to get hate mail? Like, come on. Uh, no, I, I look, there are I think you can talk yourselves into positives for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I would also say, Kian, one of the things that we said right after Zidane left, it's the same sense of um, of change, right? And change is um, just in and of itself not – yeah, it's not positive or negative. It's exciting. And that exciting – that that excitement hasn't been around Madrid's um, offseason that much in these last few years. Like I think it is kind of cool to, to think about you know, this team being – getting maybe forced into a rebuild a little bit earlier than we thought. Well, I think to be clear, there's never, it's then the answer of, is it better not to have Ronaldo than to have? I think the answer is always no. It's, yeah. you want to keep him. Like that's to me is a, is a priority. Um, he is who he is and we don't have to, exp- you know, give him, give an introduction of him to anybody. He is, he is a complete unicorn. I think the question is more so he leaves. What are the positives? What do we look forward to? What are this? What's the silver lining? What you know? What can we talk ourselves into here? One we already mentioned. Tino's going to be thirty six in twenty twenty one. When he becomes thirty thirty, when he becomes thirty six at that stage, you're he's going to probably just walk for free. If you can get something for him to break even or or make a tiny bit of profit on his purchase price, 
and not be tied down to his contract when he's 36. Um, and, and fully knowing... And by the way, I think this is the other thing that we have to keep in mind. I don't think the club wants to keep him until he's 36. Because he's not the type yeah. of player who will accept a bench role. He's not the type of person like Raul. When Mourinho comes in, he told Raul, look, uh, you're not going to be a regular starter anymore. Uh, we have an exciting project. You're going to play some minutes if you want more, just leave. You can't do that with Cristiano. I, I really don't think you can. I, I, no. so I think that's why the club know that they have to move on for him, I think, before the contract runs out. And to me, that's completely fair and that's completely logical. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you have a lot of great young players who right now by default are fighting for a starting 11 spot that would be freed up. And the list of players that could potentially be slotted in is long. It's it's Isco, it's Asensio, it's James, it's Bale. Um, a lot of these people should be regarded as starting stri- uh, starting you know wingers or, or midfielders or wherever you want to play them. And yeah. not having Ronaldo, I guess, is one less space to occupy. And it strikes me that it's very possible that this means that Bale um, sticks around with the club, not because he doesn't like playing with Ronaldo or whatever, just because he now there's another spot in that rotation. And, and you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is I totally agree. Just to be clear, just so all of the people who are about to write us angry emails. We, neither of us want, right? You're right. Neither of us actually in a vacuum want Cristiano Ronaldo to leave. We're literally just trying to find some of the, some of the positive, should he leave? And some of the, some of the things are, and I think the big one for me is like, like you said, Kian, this is the moment where this Madrid, um, Madrid side gets to, gets to tur- be turned into this kind of full on, give like turned over to this youth movement that they've been trying to 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 create over the last few years right like there's a reason that they've been investing in like marco ran this article which it, it seemed like they uh meant it as a bad thing but it's it's actually a really good thing i thought which is that uh, madrid has spent more like the biggest out- outlay in terms of transfer over the last few years has been on prospects and yeah. madrid has actually a crop of really exciting young players and this could be the beginning of that that move. Yeah, I mean, like Rodrigo and Vinicius, you know, were were huge investments, um, and that if you want to go that route, that's fine. But I mean, the thing is, to me, everyone is panicking about who do we bring in? We haven't brought in someone for so long. I, to me, I still look at this team and I'm like, really, like where where do you want to fit someone new? Like, I get it if you lose Ronaldo. Especially if you lose Ronaldo and Benzema, you're going to probably have to sign someone. And we can, we're going to get to that. I think there might be questions about it. But this is this is a really, really good squad. Like, I'm not I'm not terribly worried about it. No. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm being, like, really transparent here on the podcast. I'm really actually not worried about it. I think that if I wasn't really excited about the crop of young players, and it's not like they're just, like, unproven young players. Like, to me, still, Asensio is one of the top three exciting young players on Earth. Like... Absolutely. Isco is Isco was unplayable in the World Cup. Hamas um, on his day is is ridiculous. Like it's, I'm not that worried about it. No. Um, I'm sorry. I should clarify. I'm worried about who's going to score goals if Ronaldo leaves. I'm very yeah. worried about that. But yeah. I think we'll 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 get there in a second. Yes, I am. I'm actually. I also am extremely worried about that. Um, but that is the the main. I mean, whatever. Um, all right, Sajid Riyaz. Um, has three questions. We're going to just go through each one of them pretty quickly because we have three. Um, 
the first one is, uh, I've heard rumors that the official denial of a Neymar and Mbappe offer was done to appease Ronaldo. Um, how would we react to this type of sentiment if a legend like Zidane or Raul, at the tail end of their career, actually blackmailed us into shelving all, shelving all our future plans and we had to not pursue targets like Kaká and Cristiano Ronaldo? Um, I don't know if that's what's going on here. I just don't think that's – I don't think that's an accurate characterization of this. Also, I don't – I think that Zidane and Raul, while they're wonderful and incredible and statesmen of the club and, and whatnot, they actually – they don't. They aren't. They weren't as good at the at the end of their career as Ronaldo is right now. Like he's going to win the Ballon d'Or probably, even if he doesn't deserve it. I think that personally that Modric has a really strong case um, now after the World Cup. Like we said, um, the World Cup will determine a lot, but he very well may win his Ballon d'Or at age what thirty three. So um, I don't think that the club denying. Mbappe and Neymar to appease Ronaldo, which I think is very plausible when we talked about this last episode, is yeah. I don't think that means that it was blackmail. I don't I don't see how that that implies blackmail from Ronaldo. Yeah, because that entirely to me it's it's if that is the case I did it to appease Ronaldo, it it doesn't mean that Ronaldo told them to. It just just means that they, they did this. Yeah, I agree. Um is the Brazil that's exactly what I meant by what I don't know that's how I'd characterize it. Yeah. All right. Two, is the Brazil Belgium game simply more a reason to justify Casemiro being the best DM in the world? Um yeah, I mean he lo- I mean the Brazil team looked lost on defending those hard breaks and they looked lost trying to defend um Lukaku and Azard who are both just outmuscled um uh, a lot of the Brazilian Brazilian players. I mean Miranda was basically the only player who could even uh get the ball up Lukaku for a large chunk of that game. So, yeah. Um I I yeah, think, I think the that's best a great game point. in the world, I don't know. I think that's a great point in that that it wasn't just so much that Brazil couldn't defend counterattacks, which they they really really had a, a tough time doing so. I, obviously in the second half they were much better in the first than the first, but uh, it wasn't even so much that this scheme just made Brazil vulnerable on the counterattack and Casemiro wasn't there to kind of clog holes. It's also just that, like, let's say if you had a really good DM, Lukaku was just bouncing off players. Like, yeah, he's so, yeah, I'm, he's, I mean, he's, he's really good. He's really good. Yeah. Um, so it's possible that even if you had a physical DM, that you might not still stop him because he's just, his, yeah. his intelligence off the ball, just, just brilliant player. Oh. But, but Casemiro also maybe just can kind of you know give him a little nudge or something. Like yeah, put a body but, on him. I mean, Fernandinho just couldn't couldn't handle no, either him or Azar. Like, it was just awful. And um, I mean, can I just really quickly say how obsessed I am with that run from Lukaku where he drags um, the defender with the not even in the, in the Japan game on the last counterattack goal. It was one of the right. great yeah, runs. The of, run he makes. Oh, yeah, yeah. and then the intelligence to let that ball go yeah oh <laughs> i don't retweet stuff much it. but i had to retweet that clip when i saw it it was beautiful um last <laughs> one why do i get the feeling that you guys aren't particularly big on brazil i recently got that sentiment when gabe had a massive go at brazil fans trolling germany after getting knocked out and keon compared brazil's media hype train to england <laughs> i hate brazil I guess. that's what it is that's what it is um by the way, I'm just just for whatever it's worth. I think what you're referring to is when I said that the the Germans uh, were funnier in their trolling, and I think they were also because they have 
I mean, that that Crow's tweet of uh, that 2017. I mean, it's 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 objectively funny. I don't know what you want from me. Like that's really good. And the Brazil, what Brazil? Um, uh, uh, some BN Brazil tweet tweet of just like ha 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 and caps. Yeah. It's just not, not the same. Good. It's not, not as, as funny. And in the end, ultimately, just as embarrassing because you're out in the next round. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I no no. What what did I say? I said that there are basically three nations in the world that if they win the World Cup, we don't hear the end of it. One is England. The other is Brazil, and the third is the United States. United States. Oh God. <laughs> Um, Whereas but, if Iceland wins, it's like, oh, yeah, great. It's nice. Everyone's yeah. happy. I will say that I love Brazil and Brazilian people. There's no, like, in my experience, I've, like, I've loved hanging out with Brazilian people and watch, watching the games. They're so much fun. You, like, that's, this is not, this is, uh, this so is I don't like, even think that we should even have to clarify yeah, that that, right. that is obviously true. Like, we love yeah. every culture. Like, it's ridiculous, but it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, um uh, but right, I'm, just, I'm, I am happy that Marcelo and Casemiro get some extra rest this summer. Yeah, yeah. me too. They um, they deserve it. Um, Chris G says, um, first off, Luka Modric is a god, nothing yes. less. But <laughs> do you guys have a comment on the Juve number seven leak vid? Um, <clears throat> so then Luka Modric is a god. I said, I, I think that he has to be a Ballon d'Or finalist at least this year. I think so. I think I that's... Think so. Yeah, he has to be. Like, we... We have to like kind of deviate from our traditional picks for a second. Um, who are Ronaldo, uh, Salah? Who else is in the mix? Would you, Messi, I guess. Uh, Messi has to be. I yeah. mean, if those are the three. I now think Salah. Um, unfortunately, I said before the World Cup, I thought he may like if his, if he basically qualified with Egypt, then it, because that was a tough group. But mm-hmm. um, I now think that. He's out of it officially. Like I just can't. I don't see how how um, you can make a case for him over Modric. Modric, who is cr- uh, uh, captaining a Croatia team on a historic run, and you know who who has the same titles that Ronaldo has. I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I think I think we all kind of agreed that the World Cup would really, really yeah. sway everyone's, or at least you know in terms of this award, because uh, whether we like it or not, we all have recency bias. So yeah. I think the World Cup is going to just basically tell us who wins the Ballon d'Or. My, I guess my issue is if Croatia wins the World Cup, I don't know if people, ha- they have the balls to give it to someone like Modric, do you think? Or Rakitic, I don't know. Those well, are I mean, the- I, just, I just, do you think that, uh, is Ballon d'Or FIFA or UEFA? It's UEFA, right? It used to be France football. Right. I don't, I think it's UEFA now. So I, I don't know if, if, Right or wrong, I don't think I don't. Do you think they're sexy enough choices? No, but I think that the Ballon d'Or voting committee has like incredible flashbacks and uh, to that year where they gave it to Messi over Xavi or Iniesta, mm. and I think that they aren't gonna be swayed by the the goal scoring statistics like, okay. as easily. That's mm. my theory. I think they're also desperate to give it to someone who isn't these two guys. By the way, it's interesting to see. I don't know. It does take a lot of stones to do that. I think. Yeah, that's. I guess that's my question. Is I think it would take some balls, I guess, to give to someone like Modric over the other three. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, Gabe. I think just to see the evolution of our thought process on Modric is that he is now like, and it's not even a question. He is 
a starting midfielder in Real Madrid's all-time 11. Yeah, I think so. I think if there was a question on, is he on the level of Xavi and Pirlo? I don't think there's a question at all yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, I'm really worried, Cam. One thing I'm worried about, just a quick digression. I'm worried that if a Croatia win the World Cup, he's going to retire. I'm really worried about it. <laughs> you mean from, ev- from every... Fo- every yeah, just gonna, no. I mean... <laughs> like, I don't think so. No way. International football, 100%. I don't think he... Oh, well, yeah, but... Uh, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I'm worried about it. I am. Um, uh, the Juve number seven leak vid. Um, yeah, I mean, I heard about that. I, mean, I think <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, it's. Uh, it was released, by the way, on seven seven, so July seventh. And uh, so that is that is a potential theory of. It has nothing to do with Ronaldo. Or maybe it does. It probably does. I, I just, I, I don't, there's nothing done yet. And as we, we already talked about all the reasons why this is, there's a, there are a lot of question marks still about this. So, yeah. you know, they, it's a, it's a pretty, if I were a Juve fan, I'd be pretty upset. I think it's a bad sign that they're releasing this like that. That's a, that's a bad omen. I think um, that, that you're going to, that you're getting a little cocky with this. You're getting a bit carried away. Yeah. But the video itself was, it was basically just a rundown of, Juventus players who have worn the number seven jersey before, yeah. and it was released on seven seven, and then that was it. And then I think maybe at the end, of the- but then they deleted it. Is the reason? I think yeah, that. I, that that part is a bit sketchy. Um, uh, Sheikh Atiri's uh, actual question. Let's see. Um, uh, let's say Cristiano leaves. That will leave us in need of two forwards, not one, given Benzema's decline. The two replacement options in the news are Neymar and Mbappe, both very short. <laughs> Our only attacking uh, attacker good in the air will be St. Gareth, <laughs> who is also the one crossing um, set pieces notwithstanding. Can we handle Cristiano's departure with only one transfer, or should we think of a second forward like Kane? To be quite honest, I think Cristiano's departure with the incoming of Kane and Mbappe is still a huge step up and guarantees our um, offensive, uh, guarantees the offensive line for several years. Um Wow, uh, that's a interesting. I think this is an interesting theory. I think it's a really good point that Madrid will go from being a team that is lethal in the air to being a team that is more comp- like it's going to be a more complicated question if they try to replace Cristiano with a with a smaller forward like a Neymar. Um, yeah. But I don't know if you need another. I mean, it's just it's going to be a different type of thing. Plus, with a new coach, I think you would imagine that you'll see different tactical looks. I mean, this isn't. Madrid with Zidane running out again. So, I don't know. Well, I don't think aerial presence is a, is a prerequisite for success. Um, you know, if let, if Ronaldo leaves and you have Bale as that one guy, then it's basically like a flip switch where Bale just wasn't playing because of health issues and it was Ronaldo as that one guy. Um, I guess yeah. it's true that Bale often is the one crossing it in. Um because he's actually really good at that, you know, cut in and cross. But, you know, I, I, we've seen Lopetegui put out a false nine with no striker and no aerial presence, with just a bunch of, uh, of sh- you know, four feet Spanish players. And they just roasted teams without any aerial presence. Right. Just playing the ball on the ground and, and you know, just just blitzing past teams. So it's, there's no, you know, there's more ways to play than, than one. And it's not like also just because you're not eight feet like Ronaldo. It doesn't mean you can't had the ball and that's the other thing like Benzema is actually a decent header of the ball 
Um, and I can imagine that Mbappe is the type of. Yeah, I, mean, I think Mbappe is. He may is be still too. growing too. He's 19 years old. Like if the, if he, I mean, this is just. I am obsessed. I'm I'm desperate. I'm hopeful that he uh, he comes to Madrid because there's so much like more that you can get out of his game too. He's very fast. He's clinical. He's got the cojones, but he's also, you know, he is young enough that he can be taught and practice how to be a even more complete striker, including more balls in the air. He may still grow. He could develop a, like a really high jump. I mean, one of the big things about Cristiano was that he has his, he had a vertical jump. I mean, he wasn't super tall. He was tall, but not, not like overwhelmingly tall. And, he just had this superhuman, dunk, like dunk t- style Vince Carter jump, like uh, a yeah. vertical jump. I mean, that's the thing with Ronaldo was that, especially peak Ronaldo. But I mean, even this year, like the way he would um, head balls like into the net. It wasn't just. First of all, it was great positioning. He's the best off ball mover in the history of the game. Second of all. You couple that with just pure physical superiority where he would just literally without a run-up just leap into the air and out-muscle players. It was such a unique, unique trait that he had because he had intelligence and athleticism. And that's yeah. the stuff I'm really going to miss. Um, last question, I think. Uh, so in terms of whether we get like whether they need to get another player, um, I, don't, I don't know. I they think have you just need, to, really you need, you need the best goal scorer possible on the market yeah. at that point to replace. That's I agree. And Kane, Mbappe are both uh, that. I think Neymar adds a dimension of um, creativity uh, that maybe those two guys don't quite have. But I would, I think that Mbappe may be his equal in terms of just goal scoring. I don't know. Well, there's a. <laughs> can I just quickly deviate? Uh, not deviate, but there's a there's a question from a non guaranteed patron. Uh, Tyler Dixon, he says, if we lose Ronaldo and Benzema, we can, and we can't get Mbappe, Neymar, Arcane, what names do you like for Madrid? So I think if that situation hypothetically arose, that would be very tricky because you're you basically who, which goal score are you going to bring? Because I don't think Lewandowski is not that interesting at this stage of his career. I don't honestly yeah. think about someone like Icardi because he, he's just like an assassin in front of goal, is efficient, scores a bunch of goals. You know, I. If that situation arose, I'd be worried. But I, again, I think I just think you need someone who can score. Like Neymar and Mbappe can both score. Kane can obviously score. Um, and then Bale can fill in and score a bunch of goals too if he's healthy. But if you yeah. if you miss out on all those guys and lose, I, I don't think this will happen. I, you know what? I think that's too hypothetical actually to discuss because I don't think Flo will put us in that position. I can't imagine that he would. Um, I just can't. I just can't because um, he's also a marketing guy and he knows that that kind of way that the news cycle runs especially with real madrid is that if that happens then he will be he himself even despite him uh, running madrid through the greatest arguably the greatest era of its history he himself could be on the chopping block after just based on you know the way the media runs and then the narrative uh he himself could be in, in trouble if that happens so um i i just can't imagine it's gonna happen he will he will go get someone it's just a matter of of who and I don't know. I think there are a lot of options out there that I would be okay with, but I think that he won't settle for someone that we're all going to be okay with. I think he's going to go get someone that we're going to be psyched about. That's that's literally you know the, his style is go and get someone who everyone's going to get psyched about. It was a whole galactical project it was about generating people being excited about the team, and people have been super excited about this team, and he's not going to let that. He's not going to let people not be excited about Real Madrid. So. 
Uh, last question that's guaranteed. Jihan Watson wants to talk about Odriozola, who I'm I'm excited about. So how would you rate Odriozola against Carva at the same age? Um, further along, about the same, not as developed. Interesting. Uh, four years ago, which would have been, which Carva would have been 22, which is what Odriozola is now. 2014, that was a decima year. Uh, Carvajal was better, I think, at that age. Yeah, he was a better all-around play. Definitely better defensively. I think Odriozola has maybe more developed offense than Carva at that period um, and maybe has more offensive upside generally than Carvajal does because of the the uh, the speed. And that is such an important aspect of a, of a, of a wingback. I mean, yeah. Odriozola is very, very fast. And... Um, you know that speed, that pace is is a huge asset uh, going forward, and he's also shown that he has um, offensive chops that I think Carvajal didn't quite have that age. Now that he has developed, I think Carvajal is 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 now definitely a better dribbler, definitely a better crosser. But um, but I think at the at the same age, um, Odriozola is showing more potential in terms of offense. Now Carvajal is is. A fantastic defender, where I don't think Oliothola really has him there at all. No, I think that's a good way of putting it. Carvajal, I think you know what you're gonna get. Good, even even during his slumps, really good defensively. Uh, for some mysterious reason, he hasn't been himself offensively for almost a year now. Um, Ozil, you just just a wizard offensively, just brilliant. Um, a lot of upside, a lot of upside. I think you know. I I don't know if if Carvajal was in the World Cup squad 2014. Was he? Can't remember. I think so. He was. Okay. I was going to say because Odrio Zola is in the World Cup squad at least this year. But maybe Carvajal wasn't. But either way, I think Carvajal was the more polished player at 22. Odrio Zola is just to me is just a freak offensive wing back who has a lot of potential. Um, and if yeah. he can sharpen the things, I mean, look, I you know we've we know who Marcelo is now. Uh, even at this stage of his yeah. career, he didn't really develop into a great defensive left back. But uh, just if the way he sharpened his offensive skill set, it just didn't matter. I mean, it didn't yeah. matter, but it, it he just completely trumped everything else. And I think Odriozola can can kind of have that. It would be interesting to see if eventually it kind of develops into, especially depending on what happens to Atraf in the next like two to five years. If we have some kind of like a Marcelo Coventrao type thing, one on offense, yeah. one defensively secure, uh, but in the right back position. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, one of the things that people have talked to me about is I, I was very excited about Odiosu. I think he was a great get. I mean, we've obviously talked about how <laughs> we know that we've been suggesting that this was going to happen for a while. Now it's official. He's he's a great get. I think he's a very good player Fantastic. and. Um, it doesn't mean anything to me that Ashraf is gone. I think that the the loan deal that everyone's talking about is is a great deal. And if he comes back in two years, I mean, hopefully, um, you know, uh, Borussia works on him being both a left and a right back. And I think you could see him coming back and filling filling that Nacho role a little bit as the kind of swing defensive player that that is really important. And you know, he doesn't have to be a direct competitor to Odriozola. This could be, you know, more of a more of a kind of multi-use player and that would be a that's a really great get because those players are increasingly important given the the, the physical demands of the modern game you'll see you know there are times over the last few years where we've had the depth but both all, everyone has been injured so having a nacho has been a huge help in plugging holes 
Yeah, I mentioned this a little bit um, at the beginning of last podcast. Just just talked about it. I think it's a tremendous signing. I'm not worried about Ashraf at all. I think if 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 Ashraf turns out to be really good, you still have him in two years. You know, right. if, if reportedly, if if we're going to hold on to his rights, no better place to develop than you know where Carvajal developed his his game in in Germany and. Uh, Dortmund are, are are pretty thin at that position. I think Atraf will play if he goes there. So, and then in two years, you can basically cross the bridge. There's a there's a crossroads you look at. One is who's the better right back? Is the 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 other right back too good for the bench, or is he just just perfect for a rotational piece? Like, there's so many things you could just cross that bridge when you get there, but you don't need to worry about it now. Just develop both of them. Yep. All right, that is your show for this week. We um, will be back with our midweek show, and um, obviously there will be, you know, there may be emergency pod needed this this week, Ken. So um, we'll we'll be we'll have that covered as well. But uh, if not, Wednesday show. Um, do you have anything that you want to uh, plug? At the moment, no. I'm just working on a bunch of things that will be released soon, hopefully. But I it. am doing the same. There you go. <laughs> so. Nothing to plug particularly here. Um, all right, Kian, great time to you, buddy. And, and to everyone else, um, we should probably do patron shout-outs, right? Yes, of course. Oh, my God, that's something I was totally about to do. So thank you for introducing that. You're so welcome. I, as you all know, patreon.com slash managing is where you go to pledge. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can get different rewards uh, based on your pledge. And one of your rewards is if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout-out on the podcast. So Shout out to all of our amazing patrons. Shout out to these specific patrons who pledged ten dollars or more: Nick Stefani, Frederick Sundros, Leon Stavernakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Dan Berthy, Jahan Watson, Selvin Adolfo Chamale Perez, Anas Alazawi, Raul Gutierrez, Armin Gashi. Raghav Potluri, Jason Fitz, I think you're a new patron, welcome Jason, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obey, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, and Daniel Smith. Thank you all. You guys make this worth doing, and uh, if you want to toss us, you know, if you, you want to toss us $5, speak, we'll answer your question um, every single time. So, um, all right, until, um, I guess, Keon, if possible, next time I'll talk to you, we'll, the World Cup will be over. Crazy. Um, so yeah, no, we're, we're doing a show on Wednesday, right? So, um, but anyways, yeah. If you're not a patron, welcome. Um, the next show will will be after the World Cup for our non-patrons. And if you, uh, you know, until then, then until Wednesday, Keon for the patrons, and until Sunday for everyone else. Uh, Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. 
Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.